And you don't have to raise your hand, but maybe some of you are like me in that you get distracted when you are trying to declutter that junk drawer or clean out this special room, special, or the garage perhaps. And here's where I would find myself getting distracted. I always got in trouble as a kid for, uh, for doing this chore of decluttering because it would take way too long. And here's my problem. I would find some long-forgotten toy, some little trinket, some trophy, something that was tucked away and hidden away, and I would get lost in re-remembering that I even had this thing. And so I would start thinking about it or playing with it uh, or whatever it else uh, was, was going on. So again, I'm supposed to be cleaning up and decluttering, but I come across these things and I'm like, oh yeah, this thing. And then I'd probably usually get my brothers involved. Remember this? Let's play with this right now. And then I'd get in trouble and somehow, you know, a cleaning job of 20 minutes would take six hours. That was my childhood. Um, as a pastor, I realize in some ways as a pastor, I do much the same thing. I sort of rummage around these treasures that are already ours as a family of God. As a Christian, you just have treasures galore. But sometimes all of our treasures can kind of get lost in junk drawers, can't they? They can kind of be put away in the garage, boxed up. We write something, we have good intentions of revisiting it, but we never ever come back to it. I want to share with you this morning a practice that is as old as Moses and maybe a mostly forgotten gift. And this word is Sabbath. And Sabbath quite simply means to cease or stop from work. And this word in the Bible is used as both a verb, as in something you do, but really it's like a doing by not doing. That's sort of what Sabbath is, right? It's not so much do more, but maybe do less, but that's an action in of itself. But it's also a noun, as in the Sabbath, keeping the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath. It's a day of the week. And this morning, I want you to think of it both as an actual day and as an action, but I want to add one more layer to it, and that's this. I want to add an attitude of Sabbath. And I'm going to show you scripturally where I get that. Jesus allows it to be beyond an action, beyond an actual day, although it's both of those things still, but also an attitude that we can carry with us. This is wrapping up this series called On to Health. And if you're following Jesus, he is leading you on to health, always. He is leading us towards health. The way the Psalm 23rd says it is he leads us to what? Green pastures, right? And we ever need to be moving on and eating and feeding and keeping in step with Jesus. So this series has been a little bit like going in for a physical, but it's for the inner life. So maybe instead of a physical, it's like going in for a spiritual. You're tending to this whole inner world, this whole inner life that is going on inside every single person you meet is a soul and needs tending to. The way Romans 7 talks about it is your inner being, that inner side of you. And Sabbath is made for the tending of the soul. A whole day prescribed by the great physician to lead us, to keep us healthy and whole. So again, this is part four of four. The first week was looking at our diet. That's just feeding on God's word for yourself, for spiritual growth. And the second one was on breathing and the idea that prayer without ceasing, keep praying and never stop. What do you do that physically? You do that with your breathing. And the more you hold your breath, you can only hold it for so long without seriously injuring yourself, um, 
So, so we need to pray at all times. Last week we looked at exercise. What is exercise in the inner life? It's just quite simply obedience. Actually doing the stuff we're talking about here on Sunday and the things you read all week long. So this last one is rest. I want to show you a, uh, an image. I'm not trying to be spooky here near Halloween, but um, if you write one thing down this morning, write this down. Rest in peace before you die. Rest in peace before you die. RIP is on tombstones, and we see rest in peace on funeral handouts, and it's good. Um, there really is a final rest for those who are in the Lord. It's our hope that there's this final rest that is coming, but rest in peace, think about this, is also a gift for the living from the author of life. So rest in peace before you die. I'm talking about do it chronologically, as in before your funeral. But there's sort of a double meaning here, isn't there? Rest in peace before you die can also mean this. You should rest in peace or that funeral might come sooner than it would otherwise. Because you're not resting. So the whole sermon in one sentence is rest in peace before you die. This is something God gifts to us. I love this image. It's a Scottish graveyard with sort of a dead church behind it. The shell of a church building. And it reminded me that local churches, just like individuals that make up local churches, can get into modes where they just go and go and go and achieve and go and then end up looking like a shell of a building rather than a vital, life-giving place and lighthouse in the, in the community. So this is a message for me individually, you individually, Christian, but it is also a message for us as a church. Here's my modest goal today, okay? Um, how many of you love alarms? I don't see any hands. All right, how many of you need alarms? Okay, there you go. So we don't have to love it to go, I see the value in it. I'm not sure I really love it. I did not love my alarm this morning. This made it into our pre-band uh, prayer is Joe just praying, God, you woke us up on this cold, dark morning. It's so cold and dark right now, right? Um, I don't love alarms, but I need alarms. And here's what I want to be this morning. I want to just sort of turn up the volume on the alarm uh, that I believe this, um, this command of Sabbath rest um, is for us in the life as a disciple. If the word Sabbath is strange to you, then my goal this morning is to introduce the two of you. I think you're going to love each other. Um, Sabbath is a word that many people are like, I don't really know what that is. I think it's an Old Testament thing. It sounds kind of Jewish or Hebrew. You're right. Uh, we'll, we'll introduce you this morning. Okay. For some of you, you may already be keeping Sabbath. You may already be resting in the Lord in some of these ways. And so what I would hope to do is just spur you on to encourage you to keep going. I want you to open and enjoy the gift that is yours as a child of God. Look at these words of Jesus. Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Now, why do he say that? Jesus said this, I think, in part because people can get really, really weird with rules, and people can get really, really weird with gifts. And so Jesus comes along and says what needs to be said. Sabbath is for you. It's here to serve you, not you serving the Sabbath. It's what you need. But it's a really, really unique gift. 
Many times people think of Sabbath simply as rest, and it can get confused with this. Let me kind of give you two different pictures. Sabbath may very well, your Sabbath practice as a disciple of Jesus, as an act of worship, can include a nap. Okay, So it can include actual physical sleep. We had a couple of guys on the men's retreat nap on the men's retreat on a Saturday. On a, maybe they wouldn't normally do that, but they did it. It was great, great refreshment. But I want you to think of, of rest, actual like sleep rest, as like the gas gauge on your car. If you ignore the gas, how many of you push it to the edge? Some of you are, yeah. And how many spouses are like, no, don't do that. Um, so, so eventually, no matter what, unless God performs a miracle, you're going to run out of gas and your car will go, burr, 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 and you'll pull over and have to stop. That's sleep. Our bodies, some of you can push your bodies really, really, really far. At some point, you will actually just stop. You will completely shut down. So sleep rest is a little bit like your gas gauge, okay? It's going to come and keep filling up and all that kind of stuff. It's pretty frequent. Let me give you a second image, though. I think Sabbath rest is more like your check engine light. One more true confession. How many see a check engine and be like, I'm going to ignore that? Okay, that was completely me. I actually put tape over my Pinto one time. I'm like, I bought this car for $100. I can't hurt anything more. I just don't want to see that engine light anymore. Um, the check engine light. Some of you are like, oh, that's so terrible. I know. I repented. Um, the check engine light. Can you go on for sometimes a long period of time with that check engine light on? Absolutely. You can keep pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And you may... You may go on just fine and actually convince yourself you're just fine. Unlike your gas gauge, unlike sleep, where you're going to stop, Sabbath rest is a little bit like that. You can ignore it and even ignore it for long periods of time. And sometimes the more you ignore it, the more convinced you are you don't need to check your engine. But what happens eventually with a check engine light that's been ignored for a really long time, sometimes there is, hear me, catastrophic failure. An absolute meltdown. The mechanic calls and says, your engine is toast. You push this thing so long without doing the maintenance, without looking into it, that it's just gone. Think of Sabbath rest like that. Sabbath rest is that check engine light that you could go weeks, months, maybe years without ever tending to. But there may come a day where there is catastrophic failure in your inner life because you didn't tend to that. Cars teach us that even machines can't just ceaselessly go. They need to idle sometimes. They need to be left alone sometimes. They work best when they are tended to and maintained. How much more living things? How much more people created in the image of God? So I have great news. You're not a machine this morning. You are not a slave. You are not an employee for God. You are a beloved son and daughter of the Most High King. He's welcomed you not just to his table, but into his home and into his way of life. And that way of life includes sweet rest. I hinted last week that our exercise or obedience actually guards us from either boredom or burnout. How does it guard us from boredom? Well, boredom is cured by getting an education, getting a job, getting a spouse, getting a family, joining a church. 
That's just sort of a normal path. It doesn't work out that way for every person. But you do those things. Hear me now. I promise you, you will never be short of needs to meet. You'll never be short of people to practice the more than 150 one another's in the Bible. Consider one another more important than yourself. Be kind and tender-hearted toward one another. Patient with one another. Serve one another in love. Consider one another's needs more important than your own. You do these things. You will never be bored. So that's boredom. Walking in obedience keeps you from boredom. But there's a danger. The danger is burnout. Here's what burnout looks like. It's rushing headlong into striving after the good work God calls you to and then never stopping. You just give yourself to this good work and you never ever stop. In fact, I would say this, the compulsive need to serve or give without stopping may be a symptom of some real deep brokenness in you. In fact, if you always have to be the one giving and serving and you can never receive help, you can never allow other people to serve you, warning, that's a deep brokenness there. There's a give and take in family relationship. And those who just compulsively go, 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 man, there are just alarm bells going on around all the people around you. They all see it, I promise you. Just ask them. So listen to that. This is not the Jesus way. Jesus wasn't bored, and we don't see Jesus burning out. Oh, just get me to the cross. Let's get this thing over with. We don't read that. That's not what he does. He's also not sitting around like inventing basketball. He's like, I don't know. Let's do something. I'm bored. Jesus walked somehow the narrow way that, that very much straddled boredom and burnout. He kept the rhythm to serve and Sabbath. Think about this. Jesus met lots of needs but not every need. Jesus knew how to start, but he also knew how to stop. Jesus knew how to arrive at a place, a town. He also knew when it was time to go on. How did he know who to serve and who not to serve? How did he know when it was time to start or stop? How did he know when it was time to move on or time to linger further? May I propose to you that at least in part, it's that he kept the Sabbath. And not just the day, like one day a week he checked in with his father, but rather he carried a lifestyle of serving and Sabbath. Let's learn from him. Let's keep in step with our Savior. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to hear this invitation that Cassie just read a moment ago. I want you to hear it in the message, a, a translation that Eugene Peterson wrote for his grandchildren. Sometimes the different language can kind of hit us in a different way. Close your eyes and just listen. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Look at me for a minute, church. My prayer this week has been this, that the weight of the world would drive us to these kinds of weighty words. 
We walk in here sometimes with the weight of the world on us. And maybe we're disciplined enough to set it aside for an hour, only to pick it up again. But I know I'm not the only one who sits here in church and says, God, I'm still problem solving. Right here in church. Right here in my day to just say, my eyes are focused on you. I know I'm not God in my world. I'm still problem solving. I'm still working the plan. I'm still thinking ahead. So pray with me. God, we just invite you here. You are here. You're present. You never leave us, forsake us, God. But there's something powerful when your saints come together and our attention collectively is on you. God, thank you for being our rest. Help us to see that, but more than see it, to receive it this morning. God, we do want to get away with you. We do want to learn those unforced rhythms of grace that we see in the life of you, Jesus. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Deuteronomy 5 and Exodus 20 are where the Old Testament Ten Commandments are given. And let me just walk you through a little bit of teaching, and then we're going to get really, really practical on how to keep Sabbath. But Sabbath keeping is sort of the language that sometimes goes along with it. It's, most of the language, most of the discussion goes with breaking the Sabbath. And we see a lot of this in the Gospels. There was a lot of concern about breaking the Sabbath. But think about what the opposite of keeping is. The opposite of keeping is losing, as in losing track of. Just like the treasure in our junk drawer or garage. In Exodus 20, it's remember to keep the Sabbath. And this Old Testament law was gifted to God, gifted by God to God's chosen people. It's interesting, it's the only command that's written this way. If you look at the Ten Commandments, there are eight thou shalt nots. Those are some of the more famous ones. There's one honor, honor your father and mother, and there's one remember. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Kind of interesting to pay attention to. Here's the other thing that's interesting. There's a ton of qualifiers that comes with Sabbath. The command isn't just keep the Sabbath, and then he moves on to another command. Remember to keep the Sabbath, keep it holy. And then listen to this. Exodus 29. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You, or your son, or your daughter, or your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who lives within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So why all of these qualifiers to this commandment? I think it's because God knows us. God knows his children. And we all look for loopholes. We all look for ways to move the line just a little bit, to kind of fudge on the rule. God gives a really simple formula. One day in seven, cease, stop, set it down. Enjoy me. Focus on me. Worship me. Rest in me. Remember who you are. In Exodus 20, we see it rooted in creation. This is, uh, um, this is a time to, to recreate. It's rooted in creation. It's also rooted in De- Deuteronomy 5 as your deliverance from slavery. So enjoy your freedom. You're no longer slaves. You're my children. Enjoy your freedom and recreate. Those are the two places it's kind of rooted. But what do we do? We move the line. 
God, I know you said stop, and trust me, we are, but it's not very practical or productive to stop an entire day, one in seven. So we've come up with a plan. I think you're going to just love it. I'm not going to work, but I'm giving some extra work to the maid this week, and I've rigged a little carrot system that's going to keep that ox threshing all Sabbath long so I won't be behind the next day. This is moving the line. We're living in a crazy day and age where lines are being moved left and right. Am I right? I mean, it's crazy how quickly lines are being moved, words are being changed, all kinds of things. God says this, people are moving it. They're not even fudging a little. Fudging a lot. I think all this qualifier, all these three verses that follow, remember to keep the Sabbath, keep it holy, is God saying, no fudging. This is really important. I know you. I know you're going to want to move this line. Trust me, you're going to need it. Leave the line alone. God has given us work to do, and work is good. Hear me clearly. Work is good. Before the fall, work was given. God gave Adam and Eve a job to do. So work is really, really good. In fact, work gives meaning to our rest. If you have too much leisure time and you're gifted an entire Saturday with no responsibilities, nothing to do, whatever you want to do, you don't even know what that means. I don't get it. That's because you're not working. When you work really hard, your rest makes sense. But work doesn't work. It's broken, right? As we look at work and kind of what it is, it's broken. Frustration is coded into work. Next time you're having one of those days where you feel like, you know, take this job and shove it, I'm done with it, I'm over it, here's your therapy. On your way home, stop at a pharmacy and go to this section where they sell rectal thermometers. Okay, purchase one, very important, purchase one from the Q-tip company. Be sure you get that brand. When you get home, I want you to lock your door, draw the drapes, Mute your phone so you're not disturbed by your therapy. Change into something comfortable. Sweats or jammy pants, something like that. Lie down on your bed. Open the package containing the thermometer. Remove it and carefully place it on the bedside table so it won't become chipped or broken. And then I want you to take out the written instructions. And as you read, notice the fine print of this statement. Every rectal thermometer made by Q-Tip is personally tested. (laughs) Now close your eyes in that dark room and say out loud five times, thank you. Thank you that I don't work for the Q-Tip company. (laughs) Church frustration is coded into our work. Your job won't save you, will it? Your job won't bring you true happiness. All the achievement or all the money or all the perks that come with whatever the next level is, is not going to truly satisfy. Sabbath teaches us that when we find our happiness in God, actually all those things find their right place. And they begin to serve this greater picture of resting in God. You know, commands cut to the heart of, of, um, 
of whoever the lawgiver is. So think about this, parents. The kinds of rules we give to our kids says a lot about us. What's in the heart of God that he would gift you one day in seven to set it all down? I'm not going to answer that. Just think about that. Now, what's in the heart of us as we choose to obey or not obey this gift of one day in seven? John Piper says this, the reason that so many people feel it, Sabbath, as a burden is the fact that not many people really enjoy what God intended us to enjoy on the Sabbath, namely himself. I think he's right. I think that communicates our heart back to God. Compliments to the PAs for decorating their the, the men's retreat with little subtle messages for us to, to rest. Now, here's what I'm not here. I'm not here to stir up religious wars that have raged for centuries. I mean, isn't it just like children to fight over gifts? A gift is given by the heart of the parents to bless the children, and the children will fight over it. That's exactly what's going on with the Ten Commandments. But I do want to stir up our thoughts and ideas. I said earlier that this idea was as old as Moses, but it didn't start with Moses, did it? It actually goes way, way, way before Moses. The idea of Sabbath began in the garden. The idea of Sabbath began, think about this, in paradise. Where did all of this stopping start? It started in the garden. That God created, and on the seventh day, he what? He rested. He set down his work and stopped. What an example to his children. All right, now we're in uh, Matthew 11. I saw something this, uh, this week that I hadn't seen before. So many times, living side by side, next door neighbors in the scripture are, are scriptures that shed light on the next scripture, and you won't get the next scripture unless you really read the previous scripture. This is why most of the time we just teach through books of the Bible. It's instructing us that God doesn't just speak in isolated, pithy sentences, but he actually speaks in paragraphs and in whole letters. And the way they're connected, God is moving and speaking. Now remember that the address of your Bible, for instance, John 3, 16, the 3 and the 16 aren't there in the original language. That's just a way for us to kind of find them. I think they were added some 1,500 years after the Bible was completed. So there's nothing holy or sacred about those breaks. Those are man-made. And so as we read, sometimes we'll read through the end of 11, pause, set it down, and pick up chapter 12 the next day. Let me show you in our text this morning um, how right next to each other in God's uh, um, word are God's heart for the Sabbath, man's messing it up, and Jesus' corrective action or words, okay? That's what we're going to look at. Um, just before we get there, thinking about rest as, um, as gift or curse. Uh, I grew up going to Country Lane Elementary School, kind of in West San Jose. And in kindergarten, we had a time, it was my least favorite time of school. I loved going to school. Man, I get to go out and explore and do things and interact with people. And we had these little mats that were laid out, And sometime during the day, the lights would go off, and we were supposed to take a nap. It was rest time. I hated rest time. Rest time was the worst. I had to stop talking. 
I had to stop moving. Fidgeting wasn't even allowed. It was terrible. I hated nap time. When my parents would ever say, it's nap time, you don't have to sleep, but you do have to be quiet. I'm like, no! Now I love nap time. Oh man, I love nap time. It doesn't come around often enough, but I see the wisdom of nap time now. When I hear that heaven is like an eternal nap, like rest and peace, as a kid I would have thought that was terrible. The older I get, the more that sounds pretty nice. Look back on our text this morning. I'm not going to read the entire thing. Cassie did an amazing job with that, but I just want to highlight a couple things. One is this, that there is rest for you that goes way deeper than your current burden. So there are burdens we come in and carry, and the Bible works on two different levels, that will God lift those burdens? Yes, he will. But it's actually talking about like a bedrock burden that we come in here. Sometimes we can't even name what those burdens are. But there is a rest deeper than your current troubles. This rest is a gift. I will give you rest. Think about this. It's not earned after a job well done. It is not your reward because of all the overtime you've put in. Let me give you some rest. It's none of that. It is simply gifted to the children of God. Anyone else have good weeks followed by bad weeks? Or is that just me? Good days followed by bad days? Sometimes good days followed by a bad week? You know what God says over and over and over? I gift you rest. Not because of a job well done, Dave. Okay, you've done well. I guess I'll give this to you. That's how we think with one another. That's how our boss thinks. That's how the sports team thinks. That's how the military thinks. This is not, you've put in a lot of overtime, you're going to get some rest now. This is gifted over and over and over. I give you rest. As a gift, it must be received. Which, of course, means it can be rejected. It can be ignored. It could be put off. It could be lost. It could, be, it could be completely forgotten. Rest has one source. It comes from God the Father through Jesus the Son. This is an incredible verse because it's a really a salvation verse. Come to me. It's an invitation. Come to me. If you're coming to me and trusting me, you know how you got that? It was revealed to you by God Almighty himself. I didn't go look it up, but someone said this, stayed with me. The soul is restless until it finds its rest in God. So this is why that vacation you've been planning and looking forward to and and all of that kind of stuff, you come back exhausted and sometimes disappointed from vacations. Why? Because maybe you were putting something on that vacation, something on that weekend, something on that big event coming up that was way more than it could carry. So how do we get true rest? Come to me, and I'll give it to you. Who said that? Jesus. So that's it. But now let's read on. Look at at chapter 12. So very next verse. At that time. So right in the same breath, Matthew writes on, at that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. Really key. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? Skip down to verse 5. Or have you not read in the law how the Sabbath and the priests of the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I'm going to say a couple quick comments. Rule police are saying, you can just hear them whining, can't you? Look what they're doing! Look at that! They're doing that! 
tattletales, right? They have it all wrong in their head, and they want to make sure Jesus sees uh, how wrong he is as well. What does Jesus do? He goes back to the Bible. Church leaders, home leaders, Christian, this is a great thing to do. (laughs) Keep going back to the Bible. What's already been written about this? I don't care what's being written today until I understand what God has put in writing for eternity. And then he turns and shines the light on the current situation. And then he drops the big bomb, the big truth that they're missing. Verse 6 is this. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Just a couple quick points. Jesus fulfills the law. He doesn't negate the law. So he said, I didn't come to wipe away the law. I came to actually fulfill it and give you the bigger, broader, expansive view of it. Greater than the temple. How is Jesus greater than the temple? Listen to this. It's because we're no longer bound by location to meet with God. Who becomes the temple in the New Testament? It's us. So the dwelling place of God is always with you because God's always with you. So Jesus comes and fulfills. How's he greater than the temple? You don't have to go to a place to meet with God anymore, but catch this. He's greater than the Sabbath because we're not bound by time to rest in God. Christian, we don't have to wait until Sabbath sundown to begin our rest in God. We don't have to wait until New Year's Day to make a resolution and start over. When can that happen? Today. God's mercies are new when? Every morning. There's a fresh restart. That's such good news. So in the Bible times, people swung the pendulum to one side. They turned um, Sabbath keeping into Sabbath hoarding. And it was like Sabbath, Sabbath was like, you know, these Pharisees are like a dog with a bone. Ah, it's mine. I've got the Sabbath. And they snarled at Jesus, and they knew just how to sort of protect it and keep it. When observing comes into obsessing, there's a problem with the gift. And Jesus comes and just kind of explodes, blows wind on all that, exposes all of that away. What would Jesus correct today? If he walked amongst us, what would the correction be on Sabbath? I think it might be something like this. Here's the cat in the hat. Is a book I read many, many times as a kid. And I'm not really sure that we in the Silicon Valley got the moral of the story. What happens with a cat and a cat is he does all these things. Look at me, look at me, look at me now. And he just is adding all these things that he can do. He didn't get this way overnight. In fact, he slowly got this way over time in the book. It's just like people today. They keep adding one more thing, one more thing, one more thing, one more thing. And then the next page says this. We saw all the things fall. Look at me. Look at me. Look at all this stuff I can do. Look at all the things I'm in control of and managing. And then we saw all the things fall. If only this cat had learned to nap, right? Stop once in a while. Just set it all down, cat in the hat. The moral of the story is to not be like the cat in the hat. I think we live in the Silicon Valley full of cats in the hats. We already know where it's going to end. It's the check engine light that just keeps going on and on and on. We're like, we got this. I'll get to it next week. And how many people push and push and push 
and are pushed in this valley and then have catastrophic failure. The Chinese symbol for busyness uh, marries the idea of heart and killing. That busyness is heart killing. You want to tend to your inner life, you tend to your schedule. The rabbis were fond of saying, more than Israel ever kept the Sabbath, the Sabbath kept Israel. A favorite pastor of mine, Mark Buchanan, said this, to the extent they kept the Sabbath, the Sabbath kept them. When they were designing plays, they would design plays and they, planes, and they got faster and faster and faster and faster, and they realized once they hit a certain um, speed, the plane began to shake and rattle. It was really terrifying. What were they doing? They were hitting something called the sound barrier. They were hitting a wall. And here's what had to happen. To push through, they had to radically redesign the plane or stop advancing. One of the two had to happen or die. Those are sort of the three options. What did they do? They didn't say, well, we've gone as fast as we can go. No, they put a tiny little pointy nose that punches through. They thinned the wings out. They did all kinds of redesign. The the wings came back at what I'm sure at the time looked like an awful angle. Why? So they could push through. Let me say this. Becky and I, have we have redesigned our life probably several times over. As God has increased more and more and more things for us to do, I feel like we've walked in real health with that. We said, God, do you want us to add this? We don't think there's an undercurrent of like, we want to have more kids than anyone else around us. One more. Never did we have that in our mind. But we had to redesign our life. We had to tinker with it or die. We had to stop, die, or redesign. And we've sort of redesigned and rethought about how we do things just like that plane. So let me close with some help. (laughs) I can hear some of you saying, okay, great, Dave. Now I'm burdened with you're not even doing busy right. So now there's like more burdens coming on. That is not the intent this morning at all. I don't want to tie heavy burdens on you like the Pharisees did. Rather, Jesus was not only truthful, Jesus was helpful. So I hope to to offer some things that that I hope would be helpful. And this doesn't have to be the end of the conversation. But here's number one. Learn the line and don't move it. When I say learn the line and don't move it, um, we're not under law. Jesus came and fulfilled the law. So we are not under law, but under grace, right? But that is not just a free-for-all to say, sweet. That means we just obey the law of love, which means whatever we want. Think about all other nine commandments. Do we obey those without question? Anyone kill this week? Okay, that was an awkward silence. Some people are like, am I really supposed to raise my hand? Um, Look at the other nine commandments. We obey those without question. So what does God have for us in Sabbath? If we just ignore it and swash it away with, well, we're not under law, we're under grace. We're doing a giant disservice to us. The Sabbath day, Saturday, became what's called the Lord's Day. You read through church history, and you read through the first day of the week. You read through Revelation, John, on the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day, Sunday, became the day of worship, which was a giant shift for all of these good little Jewish boys and girls, because they were raised to do it on Saturday. So don't ignore the Sabbath, and don't spend time fighting over the Sabbath. That's not very restful, is it? You're probably disobeying it. 
I love how Kevin DeYoung writes this. We say this all the time in our house. I asked my, my kids yesterday what, what they love most about Sabbath Saturday. We call it Sabbath Saturday because guess what? Believe it or not, Sundays aren't very restful and ceasing of the work for pastors. It just isn't. Like They don't have much of dad on a Sunday, so we just carve out Saturdays. And we got to hear all the different answers from our kids yesterday. I said, hey guys, I'm talking about this tomorrow. What do you love most about Sabbath Saturday? Here's how Kevin DeYoung says, I love this. He says, let the Sabbath be an island of get-to in a sea of have-to. Oh, for six days, there's a bunch of have-tos. And they're good and they're right. They're the responsibility of what it means to be a functioning, healthy part of a community, part of a church, what it means to be a Christian and serve others, what it means to be a father or a mother or a husband or a wife or a student or an employee. Those are good have-tos, but there's a lot of have-tos. Go sit on that island of get-to one day a week. Such a beautiful image for that. All right, uh, let me move on. Number two is keep it holy. Keep it holy means set this aside for God. What are holidays? Holidays are holy days. Think about it. God has said, I command you, I gift you a holiday every week. Keep it that way. Don't fudge. Don't keep trying to get ahead. Don't prep for what you have coming down. Set it down. I've loved in this church that we've had many, many times bosses and employees come and sit as equal brothers and sisters in the family of God, joking and laughing around, feasting around the family of God, just enjoying what it means. And then Monday morning, they will go back to an office where there's a very clear and good delineation of head-subordinate relationship going on. What a powerful thing when our kids raise up and accept Christ and we say, well, there's this weird dynamic. You're my brother and sister right now. I'm still your father. You still live in my household. There's still that dynamic. But isn't it cool that now we're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ? Sort of changes things. I want to encourage some of you, do what you're already doing. This is part of Sabbath rest. Come to church. Parents, do not be shocked. If church attendance is number three on the list, and if this happens, and if this happens, then we'll make it to church. Do not be surprised when it becomes number three or six on their list. They will just be immersed in that. Now, can you take this too far and be legalistic? I think you can. But you know what? I think our culture in general is way over here. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. True statement. But if you're a Christian, man, you want to go to church. If you're following Jesus, guess where he's leading you? To church! So follow him there. Do you know that every, look around for a second. Every single one of you who is physically present here, you are helping and encouraging the faith of someone else. Isn't it true that if you go watch a movie at home, you experience it different than sitting down in a movie theater? When you sit in a movie theater, you watch the whole thing. You experience that thing differently than being at home where you can pause, you can get up, you can watch it over the span of several days. There's nothing like physically being present at church. So just guard that time. Make it a priority. Rest, refresh, reset. We have an attend one, serve one mentality around here. One of the beauties of having three services is you can attend one service and serve at another service. And that can actually be a way, just a component of your worship. 
that you say, I'm going to come and worship in these ways. As we celebrate the sacraments, remember to rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. As we sing songs and the cross is central to all that we sing and talk about, remember that. Take time on a Sunday to read that Christian book you've been forgetting, that poetry book that your pastor quoted, the biography that sort of inspires a deeper faith in you from men and women of yesteryear. We have a family discipleship book, men, that we are gifting fathers. I just started reading it. It's going to be great. Take your time and grow yourself uh, as a leader of your family. One more thing, family routines. Have a special family routine on, on, on your Sabbath. I hope you're doing family worship and family prayer and some other things throughout the week, but make it special. Develop some routines. In your community group this week, ask older, uh, more experienced families who've done this, hey, what did you do? And some say, I wish I had done this. We started late, but we're doing this now. It's really amazing. I don't even have time to tell you. They're in your notes. But I started compiling just Sabbath scripture readings. These are like restful readings that you just go, who am I enjoying today? Ephesians 1, 3 to 12, talking all about the spiritual blessings that are already ours. It's just rummaging through the garage, through the junk drawer, and just saying, oh God, you're so good as I have so much. Here's number three, change frequency, don't shut down. So Sabbath is not so much about shutting down as it is like a restart, a change of frequency. It's practicing the right things in the right way. Let me tell you, this will take some time if you're not used to this. So be patient and gracious as you begin to shift your schedule. Do what brings you life and do what allows you to enjoy God's company. For some of you, that's high activity. And you're like, oh, I'd never get time. I sit at a cubicle all week long. Oh God, you're so good. And you're just out there just like, ah, man, when my blood pressure's up, my heart's beating, and I'm sweating like a dog. I love it. Some of you are like, that sounds awful. That sounds like work. So you just stay at home. I, we were looking this week, and my wife said it's permission to color. I'm going to sit and color today. And just give myself permission to, to do that, to set that down. I found this. On the years that I'm tracking my bike miles, I found myself working to catch up on bike miles on the Sabbath. I thought, nope, I'm going to ride my bike like I did when I was a kid on Sabbath. I'm going to like not keep track of it, not worry about my time, not worry about where I am in my, in my training. Just, and for me, that was just like this sort of, sort of release. Take a nap. Give your screens a rest. Your, feel, your, your female servant, your male servant, and your electronic servant. Consider giving them a rest. Might open your eyes to some good things. Band, why don't you come on up? We're going to give you one more. Lead your family in this. Parents, but fathers especially, lead your families in this. Sabbath is not a break from your family. It is a break for your family. The dynamic between me and my children changes on Sabbath. You know why? I don't want them to achieve anything and there's no deadlines. Are the chores going to be there the next day? Yes. They're always there. Will the house potentially be messier than I would like it? Yes. Will I have to guard my own mind as recently as yesterday from not doing a couple tidbit things to just, just catch up on things? Yes, always. 
But is it good to set all of that down as an act of worship? Let me promise you this, there will be pushback. There's all kinds of practical reasons why this won't work and this is dumb. Parents, if you get frustrated, turn to God. God understands. God had his children say exactly the same thing. This won't work and it's dumb. I know, but you really need an app. <laughs> That's what God's saying. So just keep, keep pressing on. A lot of this takes planning ahead. Um, one of the things that we discovered is Becky one time goes, hey, Sabbath Saturday is great, but guess what? I still do all the cooking and cleaning. There's a lot of people to feed. So maybe it means putting food on the day before that you could just feast on the next day. Maybe you write into your family budget that you just, you just order in that day. You go out and, and enjoy a meal kind of leisurely. So there's different ways to kind of make that happen. Two things that cultivates. One is contentment. One of the things I do not do on my Sabbath Saturday is shop for more or sort of research what I might need to buy in the future. That's been a game changer. Just enjoy what you already have. Enjoy what you already have. And start with the breath in your lungs. So contentment is really cultivated, but so is closeness. Not just with God the Father, which this will skyrocket your closeness with God the Father, but it will cultivate closeness with the people in your life. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for the gift of rest. Thank you, God, that you work for us. You don't need us to work for you. You invite us to partner with you and walk with you. God, we celebrate. We said this at the beginning of the series, that that little kettlebell says that there is work to do. There are things to lift. But God, you're the one who does the heavy lifting. You did the heavy lifting at the cross, and we rest in that good work. And God, let that be a springboard. Let that be just uh, something that we launch off of to joyfully get to the work that we do and to know how to set it down and not find our identity in the other six days. But to keep company with you, to hear from you, give you the first, last, and biggest word in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.